Well, hey, friends, it's great to have you join us today. My name, if we've not met, is Clay Monkus. I'm the lead pastor here at Next Level. And today we're going to continue in our series that we're doing on the book of James called Faith IRL. And uh, this is part five in this series. And I think that Doug and Brad and Krista, man, they have done a great job of teaching the first four parts. And we've covered James chapter one, James chapter two, and the first part of James chapter three. And today what I'm going to do is take that last section of James 3. And to get started, let me ask you, you ever done anything stupid? Right? <laughs> I think it's kind of a rhetorical question, really, because all of us have done dumb stuff, every one of us. Uh, there's money with, that we wish we would have never spent. There are relationships that we wish we would have never gotten into. Uh, there are deals that we wish we would have never done. Uh, there might have been investments that we wish we would have never made. We've all done things like accepted invitations that we regretted maybe the moment we accepted them. Many of us have gone on dates that we should have never gone on. And I could probably just go on and on and on because all of us, we have chapters in our life that we wish we could rewrite. I just want to be able to do over. And now when we look back on those things, it can really be obvious to us, like how stupid were we to make those decisions? Like we ask ourselves, how could I have been so dumb? Uh, how could I have been so blind? How could I have been so foolish? And now we run into people that are making some of those same decisions, you know, those, those ones that we made. And so we try to advise them, hey, don't do it. And we say things like, you don't want to go there. You don't want to walk down that road. And they respond to you the same way that you responded to the people who tried to warn you when you were making those exact same decisions. Basically, what they respond to you with is, hey, it's none of your business. Or they feel that, oh, I just need to do this. Or this is just what I want to do. And they say things that sound silly to us, right? Like, oh, but I love him or her. Or I really just want it. To which we respond, so what, right? And isn't it amazing that the decisions we made in the past, those ones that seem so silly to us now, people are making the same decisions for the same silly reasons today. And into all of that, James writes and gives us some insights in how we might avoid making decisions like those in the future. And he gives us some warning signs to look, up, look out for, and he shows us the type of thinking and actions that lead us into making very unwise decisions. And then we're going to look at what he has to say and how to apply this. And I'm going to wrap it all up by giving you a brand new filter through which you can evaluate every opportunity, every decision, every invitation, and every relationship. And this new way of looking at things, it boils down to asking one simple question. It's a question that I began asking myself about 15 years ago, and it has helped bring wisdom into my marriage, wisdom into my finances, wisdom into my relationships, wisdom into my business practices, and wisdom into my parenting. And this question, it even answers the questions that the Bible doesn't answer directly. This one question has the potential to bring wisdom into your life and protect you from those foolish decisions. Because I'm just like you. I can talk myself into anything. I can make the worst decision seem like the best decision. I can talk myself into wasting money. I can make a bad idea sound like a great idea. And so this question, though, it exposes all of that deception. This question takes us to a level of understanding that no other question does. So you ready to get into it? 
So am I. So let's start with James chapter 3, and we'll start with what he says in verse 13. So he says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So right off the bat, James tells us that wisdom and understanding is linked to something he calls a good life. But it's deeper than that. That word for deeds is more than what you do. It's your behavior, your conversation. It's every aspect of your life. And specifically, the word good in verse 13 is kalos in Greek, which refers to something being good because it's beautiful. In other words, what James is saying to us is that true wisdom brings beautiful living. Right? It's something that you want to see and admire. It's beautiful to look at. And in previous chapters, James tells us that faith without works is meaningless. Remember that? And now he's applying that same logic to wisdom. And he says wisdom that doesn't show itself in good deeds and good character is worthless. It's not beautiful living. It's kind of like this. You might be the greatest armchair quarterback in the world. But the Panthers aren't beating down your door because while you might have a lot of opinions about how the game should be played and what plays should be run and what you should do, you can't actually deliver the goods in the same way that the guys on the field can. And in that same way, how many of you ever met someone and uh, this particular person, they have everything figured out, right? I mean, everyone else in their life is stupid. Politicians are stupid. Business leaders are stupid. Educators are stupid. Doctors are stupid. Their boss is an idiot. And if all of those other people would just do what this person says, then the whole world would be fixed. You ever met that person? Right? But at the same time, they're not doing anything about the problems that they're complaining about. We all know that someone's wisdom like that is meaningless. And James is saying, you might be the greatest barstool sage, but your many opinions about how the world would just be a better place if they would just, all those thoughts are meaningless unless you act on them. True wisdom, what he's saying, it has feet and it has hands. True wisdom walks and works to show itself as wisdom. All the preaching that you do is meaningless if it doesn't show up in your life in humility, strong character, and good deeds. So God is telling us through James here that true wisdom is not found on the mountaintop with our head in the clouds, but down in the valley with our hands kind of just in the muck of everyday life. So this is how James starts. Let's keep reading together verse 14. But, he says, if you harbor envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Those are heavy. So James begins to kind of contrast the type of wisdom that he described earlier, true wisdom, with what he is saying here. And what he is telling us is that envy and selfish ambition destroys wisdom. Right? It just destroys it. The Bible is full of stories of people who prospered because of God's wisdom. Right? We have Joseph who goes through slavery and imprisonment and becomes second in command of Egypt. 
right? Daniel goes through tremendous persecution, even an attempted execution, right? They tried to burn him up in the fiery furnace and, or, or feed him to the lion. Sorry, wrong character, uh, right? But he becomes an advisor to the king. Esther saves her people through wisdom. On the other hand, we see wisdom that God granted corrupt people because of their envy and selfish ambition. Saul, the first king of Israel, uh, is given wisdom by God, but that wisdom is corrupted when he steps outside of his role and he tries to both be king and priest. And his envy it just consumes him when he hears the women in the streets singing a song that Saul, yeah, he's killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And in the end, it's Saul's envy, his selfish ambition that brings his rule and ultimately his life to an end. Because adding selfish ambition and envy to wisdom, it's kind of like adding lemon juice to milk. You ever done that? It curdles it instantly. It ruins it. God may give you wisdom to succeed in your job or your business, but if you use that wisdom to push your way to the top, stepping on everybody on the way, you have perverted God's wisdom, and it's become, according to James, self-serving and evil. God may give you wisdom to raise wonderful, well-behaved, successful kids, but if you want your kids to be good just so that they're better than your sister's kids or just so that you end up looking like the perfect parent, you've taken that gift of wisdom and you have twisted it into a curse for your children. So, true wisdom brings beautiful living, but envy and selfish ambition, it will destroy that wisdom, turns into something evil. And then he wraps up this section with verse seven, beginning with verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, and impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So what James says here is that wisdom, true wisdom, has some distinguishing characteristics, right? There are several things uh, that we can get from this, right? He, he gives us uh, several different characteristics, and the first of which, he tells us, is that wisdom is pure. And when we hear the word pure, a lot of us will go to the idea of moral purity, especially in a church context, and that is important, but what he's talking about here is purity of motives, uh, that God would give us wisdom, right, to seek to further his kingdom, not furthering our kingdom. Another way to look at it is true wisdom is not manipulative. Whenever somebody tells you, hey, you know what you need to do, and they are benefiting from your decision, you need to be careful because you could be dealing with a manipulator. Their so-called wisdom is not pure in its motives. And after purity, James goes on and gives the other characteristics, like true wisdom is peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and impartial. And then he uses this little word, sincere. And it's an interesting word because sincere in the Greek, it actually means no wax. And you say, well, that's weird. Why, why is that important? Well, in ancient times, sometimes a, a stonemason, his hand would slip as he was chiseling on the nose of a statue or some small part. And instead of throwing away that costly stone, he would take wax and mix it with pieces of stone and form the nose or that small piece, put it on there and then sell it. And so you would buy the statue, bring it home, put it in your front lawn, and as the sun would come and hit the statue, it would melt the wax and the nose would fall off or whatever would fall off. And so it was common practice to ask if something was sincere, no wax being used. In other words, you were asking, is anything fake? If our wisdom 
is to be truly wisdom. It must be sincerely what it is. Nothing hidden, nothing tricky, pure and simple, nothing fake. So true wisdom brings beautiful living. Envy and selfish ambition will destroy that true wisdom. And true wisdom has some distinguishing characteristics. Now, long before James wrote this letter, King Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived, wrote these words about true wisdom in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. In this, he says, Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. So, how can we apply all of this to our life? How do we protect ourselves from ourselves? How do we walk in wisdom, right? How do we walk in true wisdom and kept safe? This is where it begins to take on some real practical meaning. So I want you to pay attention here because here's where I want to talk about that question that I started asking myself 15 years ago. Because it begins by asking this very simple question, but probably not the question that you've been asking of yourself. You see, normally when we think about wisdom, it's tempting to ask this question. How close can I get to sinning without actually sinning? Or some variation of this, right, in a church context. How close can I get without suffering consequences? How far can I go without actually breaking the law? How close can I get to the line without crossing the line? How many foolish things can I do without actually becoming a fool? How close can I get to disaster without experiencing the consequences of disaster? In other words, the standard for us has become, is it legal? Is it moral? Is it acceptable? Is it permissible? And what James and what Solomon is telling us is that we're asking the wrong question. We should not be asking if there is a verse against it. And if there isn't a verse, we can just assume that God is for it. And that's how I know a lot of us in church world is where we go. That kind of thinking inevitably leads to the question, how did I get myself in this mess? So those are the wrong questions. The question we should be asking ourselves is this. What is the wise thing for me to do? What's the wise thing for me to do? And that is a hard question to ask. What is the wise thing for me to do? And the reason that is hard is because I already probably know the answer and I don't like what I know the answer is. And as challenging as it is to ask this question, this is the path to gaining true wisdom. So here's how you need to be thinking about this. You need to think and ask this question kind of in light of three areas. Let me give them to you. In light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of my past experience, in light of what happened the last time that I did that, the last time that I said that, the last time that I got involved in that, right? Not what is wise for everyone to do, but what is wise for me to do. Let's say that you're someone that's addicted to sex. And in your past relationships, they always lead to sex. And then let's say that the Holy Spirit has kind of convicted you about this and you've struggled with remaining sexually pure in your last relationship. All right, let's just say that. And now that relationship is over and you're thinking about dating again. All right, so that's your past experience. In light of your past experience, when it comes into jumping into the next relationship, maybe the wise thing for you to do would be to take a year off from dating. Now, should everyone take a year off between relationships? No. Uh, does that mean that going from relationship to relationship to relationship is wrong? No. It just means that you have a unique past, a past that no one else, no one else has your past. 
and you know that this might be the wise thing for you to do. So in light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? Second, in light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing for me to do? Right? Maybe that decision that you're, you're thinking about making financially, maybe that will be better later on, but it's not good now. Maybe that decision that you're leaning towards relationships, you know, the relationship you're in, maybe it'll be fine later, just not now. I'll give you a quick example. My wife uh, made a decision to stay home with our children while they were babies. Not because it was a rule or that everyone should do it, but because it just was the wise thing for us to do at the time. So in light of my current circumstances, what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of my past experiences, what is the wise thing for me to do? And then finally, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? When you think about uh, what you want your marriage to look like in the future, what would be the wise thing for you to do now? In light of where you want to be financially in the future, what is the wise thing for you to do now? In light of where you want to be in your relationship with your children, what is the wise thing to do now? In light of the kind of man or woman you want to marry someday, what is the wise thing for you to do now? We all know that unwise decisions in the past have robbed us of a portion of our future. And part of, maybe not all of why you are where you are today, is because of some unwise decisions, right? You robbed yourself. So whenever we deceive ourselves and refuse to ask the question, we rob ourselves of our own hopes and dreams. So what is the wise thing to do in light of your past experiences, in light of your current circumstances, in light of your future hopes and dreams? What's the wise thing to do? Now, that's a tough question, but it's one that needs to be answered because nobody plans to mess up their life, right? No one plans for a bad marriage. No one plans to be a bad parent. No one plans to be a teenage mom. No one plans to have an addiction. No one plans to file for bankruptcy. But we don't plan not to. The way you plan not to is by being brave enough to ask the question. In light of my past experiences, in light of my current circumstances, my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do, not everyone to do, for you, for me, me to do. So as we wrap up today, let me ask you, what's the wise thing for you to do right now? When, when it comes to your finances or, or your relationships or what's going on morally or spiritually, professionally, what's the wise thing for you to do? What would you do different if you were to embrace that question? And I know that asking this question is, is a little uncomfortable because we all have excuses and we all have arguments for doing what we're currently doing. And I know this question. It kind of brings all of those arguments crashing down. But if that question is threatening to you, you've just learned something about yourself. You've just discovered that you have set yourself up for failure. You have just set yourself up for regret in the future. And the best thing that you can do, even if you don't apply this message, is to get along and ask yourself, what is it in me that resists the very common sense question that will take me where I want to go? And as you wrestle with that question, chances are God will speak to your heart and you will discover not only something about yourself, but you will discover something about him as well. So as we wrap up, 
want us to read that verse from Proverbs together. So as it comes on the screen here, read this with me. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Just imagine with me how different your life would be right now if you'd been processing your options this way from the beginning. Think of the pain that you would have avoided. Think of the money that you would still have. Imagine what your life might look like a year from now, 10 years from now, if you just embrace this from this point forward. It is possible to live with few regrets and regret-free living is found on the path to wisdom. So in light of your past circumstance, your past experiences, in light of your current circumstances, in light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for you to do? Let's pray together. Father, I, right now, I just pray for each of us today that you would give us true wisdom, that we would not act out of bad motives or selfish ambition. And to get us there, Father, I ask that you would give each of us the courage to ask the question, what is the wise thing for me to do? And once we ask the question, God, give us the strength to do what we know needs to be done. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, would you mind sharing this video? Um, not only could it be helpful for them, but when you uh, share this content, as well as like and subscribe uh, to our YouTube channel here, you help us accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, uh, every opportunity I get, uh, I, I want to be able to ask you to join with us by heading over to our website at nextlevelchurch.org. There is a, a green give button there in the top right. If you would click that, just choose one of the giving options that's there. Your faithful support helps us do things to continue to raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. Now, by way of benediction, let me reread re re to you Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. It says, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. May you not trust in your own wisdom, but may you have the wisdom of God. May you walk in that wisdom, ask that question, and may you be kept safe. Hey, next week we're going to continue in this study in the book of James. Service here begins at 10 a.m. I would love it if you would invite someone to join you next week here at Next Level. Until then, though, I pray that you have a blessed week, and uh, I'm just praying for you. I hope I can see you sometime soon. Bye, guys.